Colorado Springs. Nearly 500,000 people. Olympic City, USA. Garden of the Gods. Pikes Peak. It's a growing city. Our local government has a lot of employees. What exactly do they do? How does it impact my life? This is where you find out. Behind the Springs, an inside look at your local government. Hello everyone, I'm Jen Schrader and I want to welcome you to Behind the Springs, a look at your local government. And these days it also means a look at public health in our community. And one of the latest pandemic topics of conversation is the approval of that COVID-19 vaccine for kids ages 12 to 15. And just like when the vaccine became available to adults, there are many questions out there. And just like anything that has to do with your health, it is always best to hear from the experts. So I'm very happy to welcome the Chief Medical Officer at Children's Hospital Colorado, Dr. Michael DeStefano. And Dr. DeStefano, I just want to thank you so much for your time with us today. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your role with Children's Hospital Colorado? Um, perhaps a little bit about why you um, came to be in the career that you are. Sure, I am, I'm a pediatric emergency medicine physician and um, I was a Houstonian until I married a Coloradan. I met her in, in medical school. So we sort of transitioned my career, career up into the Denver Metro market. And I've always been involved in quality and patient safety. And subsequently, it melded into administration. And so in 2019, I had the opportunity to come down to Colorado Springs, which is actually where my wife is from, um, to open up our hospital. And so that's sort of my, my journey into administration. I still do shifts in the emergency room. So I, I, I am still clinically um, grounded in the ER. But I, 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 as my kids say, I do a lot of email and meetings. And that's my job. I don't take care of patients as much anymore. Right, but nice to have the combination, I would assume. Yes, it is. Um, it's a it's a nice little um, break on both sides. So uh, you know, it's it's always a you know I, I got into medicine to help patients. My helping patients just take it takes a different um, perspective now, meaning it's a little bit broader outside of the emergency department. But it's always nice to go back to the ER and sort of have those patient facing and um, relationships that you know inspired me to get into medicine in the first place. That's for sure. Well, um, let's go over right now what we know when it comes to the recommendations about vaccines and our youth. What exactly has been approved? So right now, um, the Pfizer vaccine is approved for 12 plus. So anyone who's 12 years of age and older can receive the Pfizer vaccine. And that was, you know, that just um, got approved in the beginning of the, of the month of May. So we're, we are new along this journey of vaccinating our youth. Okay, and I know there are real concerns, obviously, about vaccines in general, but um, in some cases, even more questions and worry giving the vaccine to our kids. Um, I, you know, I'm a parent. I know how that goes. We're always worried when it comes to making those decisions for our children. So what kind of questions are you receiving and are you hearing out there? You know, I think there's a lot of, unfortunately, some misinformation out there. Um, you know, I, I'm a I'm a parent as well, and so I think it's one thing to give yourself the vaccine because you are consciously making that decision. Um, it's another um, decision, um, somewhat more challenging, to give it to your own child who is growing and developing. Um, so there there has been, you know, I, I think where people start to pause is that 
kids are different and I'm in the business of difference, uh, meaning that kids aren't a little adults, um, but there's nothing magical that happens between the age of, you know, it was originally 16, right? There's nothing magical that happens between 15 and 16. But because of the way science is set up and the way we uh, evaluate whether it's drugs or vaccines, we want to be very um, intentional in ensuring that the safety profile is for all of the age ranges. And so that's why we sort of break it up and say, okay, it's safe for adults. Um, let's start then decreasing the, the age range and, and look at safety and effect efficacy. Um, and what we know from the data from Pfizer is it's extremely safe and extremely um, uh, effective. So um, when you look at the their study, there, there were no kids who actually received the vaccine 12 to 15 who actually developed COVID. Um, and I, I, I think that's, you know, I always go back to the science and making sure we can't be in anything 100% certain with, with side effects, right? Um, especially when you start um, applying it to a very large population. We take samples of, of a patient population so that we can extrapolate to the larger population. Um, but as you start vaccinating millions of individuals, you're going to end up seeing some of these side effects. There's a couple of um, of them that I, I, I would like to speak to, one of which is around sterility. I think we've heard a little bit of that around some social media that the vaccine, specifically the mRNA vaccine, so Moderna and Pfizer, can cause sterility. And where that had come from, there was this um, report that, um, that was not out of, um, that wasn't based in science, but there was a report that the spike proteins that the mRNA sort vaccine, that's the those spike proteins are in that vaccine, and that's how you become immune. So it's a those spike proteins sit all on the outside of the coronavirus. So when you get the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine, you're not actually getting a coronavirus. You're just getting these spike proteins that um, allow your body to recognize it. And there were some concerns that those spike proteins um, were very similar to the ones in the reproductive track and um, and so that there would cause some sterility. There's no evidence. In fact, those those spike proteins are are totally different. Um, we haven't seen that. Um, so that's one of the ones that I've heard. Um, not that's only, a big one, I think. Yeah. And like yeah. you said, it is. I I was curious about the origin of it myself. So it was social media based. It wasn't coming from any medical source. No, you know, and I think that there's there's always good intent. Uh, usually there's <laughs> good intent. And I think there is some similarities in the spike proteins, but the, they have to be exact to um, cause a response, essentially. So, you know, I, you know, the, it was something that I took in and looked at and said, I don't, I trust the vaccine. So I vaccinated, I have three kids, um, two of the which that qualified in this age group, 12 to 15, and I vaccinated them. Um, the other, um, I guess what we're hearing a little bit more now is there's a report about myocarditis and what myocarditis is inflammation of, of the heart. Um, and this was specifically around the Pfizer vaccine. And what, what the CDC has said is that there are um, relatively few reported cases of myocarditis. Um, it's usually seen after the second dose and about four days after the vaccination. Um, those numbers were very similar to what you would see in the general population. So in the general population, 10 to 20 
out of 100,000 people will get this condition called myocarditis, and it's usually caused by a virus, okay? And there's many viruses that end up causing it. Um, and so what we know right now is, is that there is a little bit, um, th there is some myocarditis in patients who have received the vaccine, but we don't know if it's causality. From what I can tell from the data, it looks like this is just sort of what's in the community. Um, in fact, coronavirus actually causes myocarditis, but it is secondary to the viral infection of the heart muscle. So it's not the body's response to it. Um, so that, you know, it, you know the, it's important that we report these instances. So I go back to the J&J &J and they, that we're having some clotting issues. We want we want our physicians, we want our um, population to make informed decisions and have the information at hand. I think what's gonna end up happening from this myocarditis is that it's gonna be, well, this is what's baseline in the community. It's There is no ca causation from, from the vaccine. From what I know and what the CDC had put out there, the, the cases have been very mild. Um, and that they essentially are being treated as outpatient and they resolve um, or have resolved. So it's something to keep an eye on. I'm not overly concerned as a physician or a parent who has vaccinated their, their children. Um, it's a, it's, you know, for each of us, we have to weigh risks and benefits, right? And I think what, uh, fortunately with kids, COVID vaccine, COVID, infection has not been as severe as in adults. But I think where we have sort of lost the message and understanding is it doesn't mean it doesn't affect kids and it doesn't affect them in ways that is very impactful. So to give perspective, it is now one of the top 10 causes of death for kids, COVID is. Um, and that is with the, the infection. There is also and there was a lot of reports initially um, as New York sort of increased their numbers of cases of what we call the multi-system inflammatory syndrome, the MISC. And that is somewhat severe. And we've, we've, we've had to take care of kids in the intensive care unit that have had this post-inflammatory process after COVID. And so while it is not as severe as adults, um, it has been impactful for kids. And from a public health perspective, it is so very important that we we vaccinate our children so that we we get to a point of herd immunity and hopefully put coronavirus and this this coronavirus behind us and sort of get back to life as as normal. Well, I think you make a great point on the risk versus benefits because that's what I'm hearing a lot from people is um, we're we're sold on on you know older people getting this vaccine because we've seen them die, we've seen these very serious consequences, these long haulers, et cetera. But we just haven't been hearing that about kids, so there's not this. Um, there's not the feeling of urgency, perhaps, that we felt when um, we wanted our, um, you know, older relatives to get vaccinated, or even middle-aged people, or um, you know, younger adults, um, even. But with kids, we've heard so little about the seriousness of it. I think that people are a little more. Um, I don't even want to say hesitant, more relaxed almost about it, um, and there's not that urgency. Um, yeah, you know the narrative for coronavirus was definitely um, our kids, our kids fared better, um, but that didn't mean that they weren't impacted. And I think the, the the stories subsequently sort of dwarfed 
what was happening in the pediatric population. We didn't have you know, hospital filled with coronavirus patients, meaning that we weren't like our adult colleagues that were um, shuffling patients around to manage that influx. Um, but we were taking care of kids who, um, some of them mild, some of them very severe um, illnesses within coronavirus. I mean, it's to, it, it goes to, it speaks to the fact that, you know, it's a top 10, um, unfortunately, reason for kids to, to die currently is through coronavirus infection. And so um, at this point, how do you feel, since we're talking a little bit about, um, you know, folks making that decision, how are we doing on vaccinating our youth? Um, where are we now? Where do we need to, to be? You know, I, it'll be interesting as we see data that comes out. I think we're too early in this process to understand, you know, what we have seen is the older population definitely have been vaccinated the most. And as you um, kind of drift to those younger age populations, we haven't seen um, a, a vaccination rate like the older population. And, and that sort of makes sense because from a personal risk, it's a little bit less, right? Um, meaning that, you know, the, I think that there are at times when, you know, if you, if you had gotten coronavirus at, you know, and you're 80 plus, you were in double digits risks of having um, dying, especially very early in the disease. So that that definitely, I think, affects how people view the vaccination, right? Their own personal risk. And, you know, as we go into the younger age groups, we're going to probably see um, a uptake that is not as what we probably need it from a community perspective. I can tell you that we started vaccinating um, kids on May 19th here locally in Colorado Springs, and we we've we've had a couple of vaccination clinics. So we're a little bit unusual. We don't have it daily. We have certain days of the week that we vaccinate, and we've we've vaccinated about 450 kids. So we've had about three clinics, 450 of the 12 to 15 age range. We've vaccinated other individuals during those clinics, but about 450. And I was actually pleasantly surprised with it. I know that. As we had our vaccine clinics, we have watched our numbers sort of drift down as we've um, progressed uh, with the vaccination effort. And when we opened up to this younger age population, um, there was a, a increased demand. And so we had to open up some more vaccination clinics. So I was pleasantly um, encouraged and and but I, you know, as if I had a crystal ball, I think it's going to be a challenge to um, one convince parents um, to vaccinate their kids. My my sister, who got the vaccine, is still pretty hesitant on getting her children the vaccine. I think it's one where she's like, the way she explains it is that you know I, I probably will vaccinate them, but I'm not going to be first in line. <laughs> and so I, I'm with your sister a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and I think you know I that's admit. that's an okay way to look at it, and mm -hmm. I, you know there is no judgment here. We each have to deal with sort of the decisions. Um, you know, for for me, I you know my decisions to vaccinate my kids really you know was one for their own safety, but it was also for we we have some high risk individuals were around as well, and while the vaccination is very effective, we know that there's a small number that still get infected. Um, and so we um, we made that choice because of sort of who they um, who they are around grandparents. You're right, everyone, yeah, everyone has their own situation, but that leads us into my final point that I really wanna make. Um, 
and we've talked about it all along about the importance of getting accurate and reliable information during the pandemic. And same goes for this situation. When you're considering this, um, if you have young people in your lives and you're, you know, deciding whether or not to vaccinate, it's really important to not um, get your information from Twitter and, um, <laughs> you know, or um, Facebook and really um, go to those great websites. And I know childrenscolorado.org is where people can go for your clinics and, and your information. El Paso County Health.org is a great one in the Colorado Springs area for reliable information, just facts and some and some things that people can go through more in depth, perhaps if they're still on the fence about it. Yeah, I you know, I cannot stress the importance of not going to social media. Um, it, it and if you do get your news source from social media and you you, you should probably do some other research. I, I do want to stress, I think um, because of people's expectations of physicians and healthcare and our healthcare leaders like the CDC, um, there were um, a lot, especially in the beginning, and this was no different for us in the hospital. We were changing day by day, um, week by week, uh, because we, you know they described it at the very beginning, the novel coronavirus, and novel means new. And the way we look at it from a science perspective, we can make some infer we can make some judgment calls on whether the virus is going to act like a typical coronavirus. But we we had no idea what was happening. In fact, a lot of the things that we have seen in pediatrics, like MISC and some of those other um, events, is not necessarily described with any other virus. And so there was a lot of changing of what people were saying, and that is totally normal. As you get data and information, some of those assumptions you learn are wrong and you need to pivot. And so I do wanna stress that those websites like the CDC is a trusted website and trusted individuals for me as a physician and as a healthcare leader, um, and realize that that pivoting in the very beginning was not necessarily that they were withholding facts, they just didn't know the entire truth of the coronavirus. Even how they treat our most critically ill patients is different than other viruses. And so there was a lot of learning that was going on. There was a lot of, they didn't understand how it was being transmitted. So there, you know, I, I go back to some of the masking issues. Well, they didn't know what we know now. And so once they figured it out, they said, okay, we need to pivot. We need a message differently. Um, and I think that had has done some disservice to some of those organizations. So, you know, I still trust the CDC. I go to their website actually very frequently to get information. You mentioned our own website as well. Um, and you can, if you just type in Children's Hospital Colorado.org, you can drive to our COVID um, page, which has frequently asked questions, and it will have the latest and greatest, including on the Pfizer vaccine. Um, and then on top of that, you know, I always point people back to their pediatricians, right? There's a relationship there um, or the family practice physicians so that, you know, they, you can have a dialogue. It's always hard to get information and it's very a one-sided conversation. You you read it, it, you may internally digest it, but have a conversation with your healthcare provider. Um, let them know your concerns and, and talk through it. Um, it. It's so very important that we not only get uh, the correct information, but we're able to digest it in a way that you can make a decision. That, those are some great points and some, and 
you know, it's interesting, but I have a friend who's in the medical field who works um, uh, for Memorial Hospital, actually, who was saying throughout the pandemic, we just are um, very impatient <laughs> as a as a country, as a um, people in general. So when things were changing and we didn't have the exact answers, there was just this um, feeling of why, why don't you know it all right away? And like you said, I think it's wonderful to point out it was a novel virus. It was new to everyone. And so um, same with these vaccines. We have to have a little patience as we get through this brand new situation, you know, everyone together. Yeah. I do want to stress that the, you know, the mRNA um, vaccines have been, they've been working on these for many, many years. And why medicine takes a long time for, um, from idea to production is that there are definitely steps that have to occur. Those steps have been done in, in serial. So it, there was gaps between like phase one, phase two, phase three. Um, this mRNA vaccine that we are seeing with Pfizer and Moderna it was expedited and it wasn't expedited in a way that um, decreased the safety um, of it, but they actually did things in parallel, which was very new to the medical industry. Usually there is a lot of gaps in between and you do you do it very serially because there isn't a time push to get it out to the public. We, we this knew time that, there was, right, yeah, and this and time we, there was. We knew that we had to, if we were going to affect um, sort of where we were within the pandemic. I, I always go back to people say, well, it wasn't that bad. You know, we didn't have, you know, there wasn't all the deaths that you would see with the with the Spanish flu or some of those other comparable events. But what we did was we shut down our economy. Uh, we We really isolated. And I can tell you that our adult colleagues were at breaking points um, at many at many different um, steps throughout this um, pandemic. And if we wouldn't have put up some of those things that we did from a public health perspective, we would have overloaded our system and we would have we would have had a we wouldn't have been able to our, our healthcare system isn't meant to to take care of these huge surges of really critically ill patients. So we would have been in dire straits. Are you feeling hopeful at this point? How are you feeling? I, I am sort of, you know, we in the United States are in a very different place than some of our colleagues around the world. Um, you can look at our numbers as a country and every all of our indicators are going down. Our, our positivity rates going down. Our um, deaths are going down. Our hospitalizations are going down. So very, very positive. Um, one of the concerns is that these viruses mutate. And while they have been effective for the mutations, and we think the India in the the variant in India, it is still effective. Uh, my worry is is that there's going to be a variant that's going to pivot a bit outside of the vaccine. And the nice part is that we 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 have the vaccines, and I think we can we can make adjustments pretty quick quickly um, versus where we were a year ago. Um, but, you know, that's where I get concerned because the more as you have this virus circulating, it will continue to mutate. And it's sort of a race to get to herd immunity and decrease the mutation rate um, of the virus. Once we get to that herd immunity, the mutation rate decreases because there's just not as many um, patients or individuals infected with the virus. So. I am cautiously optimistic, um, and I and I look forward to the to the coming months, and hopefully we continue along this trajectory, and we're able to 
we able to vaccinate those individuals and, and the individuals around the nation? Because this is not just around the United States, but if India can't get vaccinated or if Japan can't get vaccinated or other countries can't get vaccinated, there's still a risk to us in the United States because as those variants um, sort of um, populate, it, it, there, there's a risk that they may be resistant to the or the vaccine may not be as effective. Right, right. Good points. Okay, well, this is great. I really appreciate you going over this information with us. It's a nice um, back and forth and conversation. And um, I appreciate you letting me pick your brain and ask you all these questions. Um, it's really Im important decisions for people. So um, we appreciate your time. We're fortunate to have Children's Hospital Colorado in our community. We're so grateful to hear from you. And um, uh, we'll, you know, maybe we'll be able to talk again and update as we go along here with the vaccine process. I, I would love to and would, would, would be happy to have a conversation again. Okay, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening to Behind the Springs.